0: Well, good morning. No snow this morning. That's a plus, isn't it? Wow. April fools. Uh, I have been so enjoying this series on Ephesians. Uh, I hope you guys have as well. Those first three weeks, I mean, so much good news about God's grace and his loving kindness and his blessings to us. Um, it's been absolutely incredible, all that good news. It, it actually has made me think of a scene from uh, the movie Blindside. I I know we're in March Madness, but I'm thinking about football, and I'm thinking about Michael Orr, who was like arguably the greatest high school left tackle ever recruited, and and. Uh and he's got all these SEC coaches who are after him. He's got Nick Saban, and Ed Orgeron, and Lou Holtz. And for good reason, because Michael has like God-given physical stature, just a big, strong, powerful person. But he's also like sacrificed in his blood, sweat, tears, and he's worked really hard. So all of these guys are coming to him, and, and, and they're making him these offers. And, and the whole time, um, there's little scrawny SJ, sitting next to him on the couch. And every coach that comes in, he's say, what's in this offer for me, right? And you look at SJ, it's like, hardly looks like a future prospect. Uh, the only thing going for SJ is that he's somewhat Michael's brother, right? Like half brother, stepbrother, somewhat kind of through adoption or whatever. And, um, and these coaches are offering him things like, hey, I'll get you a Gamecock uh, uh, head, uh, hat or something, or I'll get you a, um, a, 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 a I can't remember the, 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 the different animals, but like the headdress with the feathers and all this other stuff, or I'll get you a pass and you can come on the field with me and you can do the coin toss and, and you can have a sideline pass. I mean, awesome stuff for a 10-year-old kid. Like he's done nothing other than he's somewhat kind of this brother, Right? And I think that's the story of the first three chapters of Ephesians, right? As Paul goes on and on about all that Jesus has done, and we're like scrawny little SJ sitting next to Jesus on that couch, getting all of this blessing because we have been adopted into God's family as Jesus' brother. It's incredible. God's loving kindness, the life that it brings beyond what we could ask or imagine. And then the last three chapters are linked to the first three chapters by one word. Paul says, therefore, therefore, in light of all of this good news, in light of all this kindness, of all this blessing, Paul says, therefore, this good news ought to have some impact on our lives. It ought to affect us some way. It ought to cause us to become a new humanity, a new kind of people together in Christ. Therefore, since God has freed us from this old way of life, from our slavery to sin, from all the consequences of that, and in light of his, his continued blessing, we ought to live in a way worthy of the honor and blessing that God has given to us. And he lists some of the positive traits, characteristics of this new humanity. And Tyler Ruane taught about some of those last week. Did such a fantastic job. If you didn't get a chance to hear Tyler, I encourage you to go back and listen to last week's teaching. And then we get to this week, chapter 5. And Paul begins with another Therefore, So Paul says. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators of God. Be a, a fragrant sacrifice. When our youngest son Eli was about five, my wife had to go get Olivia some clothes for school, and so she took Olivia, and Eli went with them, and they went to Kohl's. And my wife had to jump into the dressing room with Olivia for a minute, so she tells Eli, hey, just wait right outside for just a second, I'll be right out. Yeah, telling a creative five-year-old like Eli to just wait outside, like, that's kind of vague, like, I like outdoors outside, anywhere in the store, outside, so she comes out, of course, Eli's missing, as he often was. <laughs> and she's looking around, she can't see him, she starts to get that little panic sense, and she looks over in the women's area, and she sees some people kind of gathered around. They're pointing and some are laughing, and she's like, oh, no, and she starts walking over. And as she gets closer, she sees this mannequin, this woman mannequin dressed in fall clothes and like striding, you know, like out for a walk, and she looks down and holding the mannequin's hand, gazing lovingly up at her, (laughs) is Eli frozen, imitating like a boy mannequin going out for a walk with his mother, (laughs) and the more people gathered and pointed and laughed, like the more he just ate it up, right? He just, like he entered into a whole new reality. It was, it was crazy. Kids do this stuff all the time. They pretend, they imagine, they imitate, right? They especially do this in our own homes, right? With their parents or with their older siblings. They see things, and this is how they learn and how they grow. Bernard Shaw actually says, you know, imitation isn't just the sincerest form of flattery, it's the sincerest form of learning. That's what kids do. They see their parents doing something. They follow their example. Could be good or bad, they try it out. And they learn, and it creates a new reality for them. Paul says, yeah, like that. As God's beloved children who want to grow up to be like their dad in heaven. Imitate him. But don't imitate him to become beloved children. That's who we already are. We imitate God. We we follow God's example to learn and to grow so that we can become a new humanity that looks more and more like God and brings a new reality to the world around us. And here's what Paul's going to say about this imitating God. He's going to say, first, it begins with walking in love and light. And he's going to tell us what that looks like. And then he's going to say, you should practice this in your home first. And finally, he says, in order to do this well, you need to be filled with God's spirit. That's the power behind being able to imitate God. So first, Paul says, I want you to walk in love. So what does walking in love as an imitator of God actually require of us? Paul says it actually begins with forgiveness. In fact, in the last verse in chapter 4, just before the therefore that begins chapter 5, Paul says, I want you to be kind and compassionate, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God and walk in this way. We never imitate God better than we, when we forgive others just like God forgave us. I love the way that Eugene Peterson puts this in the message. He he says it this way. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. How extravagant is God's love for you? For me, and he became a sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins so that God could spend the rest of eternity showing us the riches of his grace. Alice taught us about that a couple of weeks ago, another great teaching in this series. Take that in. God rescued us. Jesus became a sacrifice so that God could spend the rest of eternity showing us the riches of his grace. Eugene Peterson says, take that in and then try to do that yourselves, like one of his kids. Learn to love like that. Imitation isn't just the sincerest form of flattery. It's the sincerest form of learning. What would it look like if that was the foundation of every one of our relationships with our spouses, with our kids? You know, forgiveness was the foundation or or sacrificial living. For the sake of others in our workplaces, in our social relationships. I think about it like at home, it's like, honey, I, uh, I watched the last three episodes of Ozark without you. That's all right, I forgive you, right? Or you spent how much on that? That's okay, it's okay, I, f- I forgive you. Uh, with our kids, uh, didn't I ask you to turn that game off an hour ago and to put your dishes away and to go to bed and you're still up? You know, I, I forgive you. Just go to bed. I'll take care of the dishes so they're not still there in the morning. What would that look like in our homes? What would it look like in our workplaces to, to, you know, lay down our lives, to set aside our lives to be able to serve other people? Oh, you had something come up. You can't be there. Oh, that's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll work for you. I saw Jennifer Van Ghent do this this week. She leads our crisis care team, involved with in our Route 55 ministry, and she's over on Wednesday night at our junior high ministry at Chaos for a special night where they serve meals to junior high students, and she's giving up her night to be able to go and serve others. Paul says, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, and it was a fragrant offering to God. You know, sometimes when I run, I'll run by Blue Barn Barbecue or I'll drive by there after a run. And that meat, the smell of that coming off the smoker, I mean, even a vegan or vegetarian has to acknowledge. (laughs) That's a heavenly scent, right? Just draws me in like I got to go in. I start salivating, right? Jesus says that's who we become when we live this way. We become like a fragrant offering that draws people in to a relationship with him, to want to know more about him. To do this, we can't just be admirers. We have to be imitators of God. And and that means we don't get it right at first. I mean, this whole idea of unmerited forgiveness, we we don't even understand what that means. So we have to practice. We have to try it out, and we're going to fail, and then we, we try it again, and we keep walking in love with God. I think I could stop right there. That's more than enough of us to probably work on the rest of our lives to become an imitator of God, but I'm not going to stop because Paul doesn't stop. He keeps going. And Paul says, walk in light. Actually, the way he says it is, you used to walk in darkness, but now you are light in the world, so walk as children of light. You know, seasonal darkness causes all kinds of problems for people. You know, it messes with the brain chemistry, throws it out of balance for millions of people like in the winter. So like, if you get cravings for more carbs and, and for purposeless activity, it's because of the darkness affecting your brain. You can blame all of that laziness and stuff in the winter on darkness. It's true. It's biological. That's why I think that the best thing about spring in Iowa, it isn't the weather, clearly. Right? The best thing is the light. There's more light because darkness messes with us physically, mentally, emotionally, and Paul says spiritually. And then he names a few things that, that we do in the dark or things that are dark that we'd rather just keep hidden and keep secret. And he groups them into one primary issue, sexual sins. And as Paul writes about this, he talks about our actions, he talks about our desires, and he talks about the way we talk and joke about sexuality in ways that dishonor others. God is not anti-sex. God invented sex, or he gave it to us as a gift to be explored and enjoyed immensely. And if you don't believe me, go home and read Proverbs 5, Song of Solomon. Don't read it out loud to the kids. All right, it's not necessarily G or PG even, but sex is a powerful nonverbal act intended as a symbol to communicate a covenant and commitment to unity and love between two people. And at the end of this chapter, Paul is going to call this a picture of the gospel, saying that when a man leaves his mother and father and is united to his wife, The two become one flesh. And this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. See, the unspoken message of two people becoming one flesh is that I now belong fully and exclusively to you, and you belong fully and exclusively to me. We are now one in a new form that didn't exist before. And Paul says the symbol of oneness, right, is, is, it's just like Jesus' act of love and what he achieved for the church and God. God holds sex in a high regard. And when his followers don't do the same, the significance and meaning of this important and foundational symbol is lost. And Paul's writing to a group of people who lived in a culture that believed using one's body in whatever way they wanted was the ultimate expression of freedom. And limiting behavior in any way was a gross violation of this basic individual right. Can you imagine a culture like that? (laughs) They engaged in incest, in orgies, in sex slavery, in temple prostitution. They worshipped sex. The culture had no understanding or they had no regard for this uh, the significance of sex. And Tim Culler says, when we, as followers of Jesus, go along with the culture, right, and we disregard God's view of sex and what it's intended to mean, it doesn't just affect that symbol. But all of our symbols, all of our stories, all of our questions in our faith begin to change. And it leads us back into the dark, into confusion and chaos and pain. Paul says, you, followers of Jesus, be different. Live as sexual beings. Enjoy God's gift, but do it in a way that fully honors God. Be imitators of God and learn to walk in light. Paul says one last thing about how we imitate God. He says, again, begin this in the home. Practice in your homes. And he has one guiding principle to help us know how to practice walking in love and light in our homes. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then Paul's going to go on. He's going to address each member of the family and explain how each one of us is to submit to one another. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, lay down your lives for your wives in the same way Jesus did for the church. Children, obey your parents. Parents, don't be overbearing with your kids. In other words, every one of us is to elevate every other member in our family and to serve them. And it's hard for us to really grasp how radical this was because our households are nothing like the households in Paul's day. Instead of messing with the structure of the day, Paul does something way more radical. He redefines every relationship within that structure. And he does it based on our relationship with Jesus. So when he says, wives, submit to to your husbands, he's not saying, hey, submit to your husbands because of some structure that's in place. He's saying, I want you to submit to your husbands out of reverence and appreciation, respect for what Christ has done for you. Don't just do it when he's doing well and he deserves your respect and those sorts of things, but do it always out of reverence for Christ. When your husband messes up, forgive him, just as Christ forgave you by far the most radical part of this entire letter, I think, is the message he gives to men in chapter 5. Men, do you know that he actually uses three times more words to speak to us about this than he does to women? In fact, he says three times to us, love your wife, not just intimately, not just romantically, but lay your life down in service for her. Be willing to sacrifice everything to serve your wife. Again, I think it's nearly impossible for us to understand what this would have been like if you were a man reading this letter in Paul's day. A lot of people want to reduce this section of scripture to like some uh, you know hierarchical structure based on gender, or some here's how you make a decision when you're at an impasse. And I think Paul would hear those things, and I think he would laugh really hard, or maybe he would cry really hard. Paul's far more interested in transforming every relationship in the home and forming an entirely new household based on our respect for Jesus. Every one of us is to serve the other members in our families, not just because or when they deserve it, but consistently out of reverence for Christ. Anybody have this down? Anybody else a little overwhelmed? Remember, imitation is the sincerest form of learning. So this is about learning, right? It's about practicing. We're not going to get this right all the time, not right away, so we keep practicing. We keep walking in love and light in our own homes so we can learn and become imitators of God. And here's the best thing is we don't have to do this alone, right? God, or Paul reminds us that God wants us to fill us with the power to pull this off. Early in the chapter, he says this, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. You know, we can understand at least some of what God wants us to do. One great way is to engage in the Bible, prayer, uh, to, to talk it out with other people in community to figure out what is it that God wants us to do. Paul says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be filled with the Spirit. This is the source of our power to be able to imitate God. And Paul isn't saying, hey, just be filled up once and you're good to go. Paul's saying, be filled again and again and again. And it's interesting to me that two of the things that he associates with being filled with the Spirit are singing songs or hymns or psalms together to God and singing them alone in our hearts. Now, not all of you are as talented of a singer as I am. I get that. And maybe some of you don't enjoy singing all that much, but I just have experienced, I know many of you do, like there's something that happens deep inside of us when we gather like this together and we sing songs of praise and thanksgiving to God that just touches us in a way that not much else can. This is why, why worshiping God together is one of our key strategies here at Orchard Hill Church to help next generations encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. And I know there's a lot of different ways to worship God. Paul says one of the important ways right here is to continue coming together, to gather in this place, to sing songs together, and then also to sing these songs in our hearts when we're alone. And I want to say to those of you watching online, I am so thankful that we have a streaming service, that we can stream our services online. And and, and people, especially people have to be gone for several different reasons, so I'm glad we're able to do that. But I would just encourage you, when you can, to come join us in this room and sing songs with us because there's something that happens when we're here in this room together doing this. And when you can't be here, I would encourage you Sing the songs in your heart or to stand and sing with us when you're at home. Be filled with God's Holy Spirit. I've seen this happen, especially in the last few months, where there's been some darkness for some of our families and our friends in the church. It's a different kind of darkness when you bury your 59-year-old husband or father or your 7-year-old son. And you know, when the life gets kicked out of you, when you feel like you can't breathe, how do you continue to walk in love and light? And one of the ways you do that is by singing songs of praise, singing songs of thanksgiving. And I watched as Tim and Hope and Brad and Kate and others took songs that these families asked to be singing, and they led the congregations. And singing these songs of declaring God's goodness and his faithfulness and his kindness, present right alongside the rail of grief and pain that they were walking through. And I watched as people in the room were filled with spirit, a little more courage, a little more hope. Like I watched Cooper Lynn's sister Molly not just sing in the room, but dance with her friends from kids' ministry here on this stage, and just watched as the room was filled with God's spirit to have a little more courage, a little more hope, a little more peace that that we can continue to walk in light and love. Paul says, give thanks for everything. I don't think he's saying give thanks for untimely deaths or pain that we experience. I think he's saying give thanks because in everything, Jesus is with us. God is with us, just like the song Son of Suffering that Bradley taught us this morning, right? We're thankful because we have a God who understands, who came and walked with us, continues to walk with us. And now he encourages us to take God's hand, just like Eli took that hand of that mannequin, right? And to walk in love and light into a new reality. And he wants to give us his spirit to be able to do that. So we're going to practice that now. I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to continue to sing some songs so that God can fill us with his spirit. And then when we leave here, we're going to have a song in our heart that we can continue to sing throughout our week as we continue to practice, to be imitators of God, learning to walk in love and light. Will you pray with me? God, you are a good God. Jesus, you are the son of suffering who came, Lord, to to show us who God is, to show us what God is like, and to walk with us. And then, Lord, you pour out your spirit. Not only do you give us the blessing of forgiveness and kindness and presence, but you pour out your spirit, Lord, so that we can be imitators of you. God, we acknowledge and we confess that, um, that we're broken and we're fallen and we don't get this right. We just ask, the Lord, as we sing your praise as we sing your thanks that you would fill us with your spirit, to remind us of the grace you give us, the forgiveness you offer us, to help us to go again and learn again by being imitators of you as we leave here today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.